Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We're here today bringing together the best technical leaders from across the NHS to talk about topics that matter to them. I'm Louis and I'm your host today. Today we are joined by Lee, Grace, Natalie and Derek. The views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisations. Before we delve deeper into the topic today, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Lee, I'll come to you first. Hi everyone, uh, so Lee Gutcher, I'm a programme manager in North Central London. Uh, I work in the corporate services programme and uh, temporary staffing is one of the programmes that I work on and I lead on the Collaborative Bank um, initiative. Great, thank you, Lee. And over to you, Natalie. Hi, my name's Natalie Nightingale, and I'm the head of North Central London Temporary Staffing Framework, and I also work alongside Lee looking after the Temporary Staffing Collaborative Banks. Thank you. And Grace? Hi, I'm Grace Heggs. I'm a senior project manager in the diagnostics team of the North East London Integrated Care Board, um, and one of my work streams is workforce um, and also digital, and that's part of um, supporting our North East London an imaging network for imaging staff working across our hospitals in North London. Thank you, Grace. Last but not least, Derek. Hi, I'm Derek Conlon. I'm Programme Manager for setting up the Collaborative Bank in Humber and North Yorkshire. That's me. Thank you, Derek. Um, so you might have seen a theme there about the Collaborative Banks. That will be today's topic. Um, so now that we've got a bit of context for each of you and who you are, uh, we'll go straight into the introduction about what the Collaborative Banks are. Um, so I'll come to you, Natalie, to give us a bit of context around that. Brilliant. Thanks, Louis. So in short, across the North Central London uh, ICB, um, there are 10 um, trusts. And in short, we are coming together to share temporary staffing across our organisations. We're a really diverse group of trusts, actually, and they're made up of four specialists and two mental health trusts and four acute organisations. And when I say diverse, some of those specialists are world leaders uh, within their um, specialist areas. So, for instance, we've got Moorfields in there. We've got Great Ormond Street Hospital for children and the Tavistock and Portman. So really diverse group of organisations. And we made the decision uh, back at the start of the pandemic in March 2020 to create a collaborative bank to enable us to be able to share staff quickly and efficiently across our 10 organisations. Um, and as a result of that, we've actually created two banks, recognising those different challenges in the organisations. Um, and the collaborative banks are covering two areas, one for our doctors and our medical staff, and one for our non-medical, specifically looking at band two and five nursing staff and our radiographers within uh, allied health professions. So yeah, really varied uh, group there. Thank you very much, Natalie. Uh, I'll come over to Lee, who's going to explain a little bit more about the benefit to the bank and the impact that it'll have. Absolutely. Thank you, Louis. So I think firstly, um, the benefits to our colleagues and the, the, the staff members who do the shifts are, are great. It, uh, firstly, it gives them uh, much more flexibility and choice um, when it comes to booking shifts. So that could be um, uh, convenience of location. So somebody may live in North London, but was traveling to central London every day, but now suddenly they'll be able to pick shifts up much easier uh, in North London and vice versa. Um, so we've had lots of feedback on on that from, from nurses um, about how it's um, just allowed them to give them more flex flexibility and uh, more choice as well. Um, also, the time, um, uh, uh, the, the timings of shifts as well. So it allows them to um, organise their 
um, weeks um, much better as well. So I've had lots of uh, really good feedback on that already. But the other one that's really exciting and um, just as valuable is how we've had feedback from um, doctors and nurses about how they can go now, how they can now go to other organisations and get experience and exposure to those organisations as well. And as Natalie mentioned, there's some really uh, specialist trusts that are within the patch as well. So now suddenly for um, colleagues to be able to go and work in those trusts and um, get that exposure and experience, it helps with their um, development and, and knowledge as well. So that's that's a fantastic um, uh, benefit for, for our workers. Thanks, Lee. I'll come back over to you, Natalie. Yeah, just to add to that point around the benefits of the trusts. So what we're already seeing is that it's given our organisations a much larger pool of staff to be able to fill their shifts. So whilst being supportive of the sort of bank first model. So we know when we have a gap in our rosters, we offer those shifts out to our bank workers that are already locally registered with our organisations. But if we're unsuccessful and unable to fill those, then it gives us an extra layer and an extra cascade to be able to widen that pool and offer those shifts out to what is effectively groups of staff that are already known to our individual organisations. And so actually then what that means is that these shifts that would otherwise remain unfilled, which would ultimately then have an impact on our patients and the services that we can deliver, um, or alternatively would then be filled by agencies. And whilst there are an appropriate use of agencies, we know ideally we want to be filling this with, with staff that are known to us. So the Collaborative Bank enables us to be able to do that which is obviously really positive. Great, thank you. Back to you, Lee. Yeah, and just following on from that as well. So what impact has this had as well? So um, we've had over 20,000 hours um, of collaborative bank shifts, which have been filled uh, since we went live, which is which is great. Uh, and it's growing month on month at the moment as well. So we're really now starting to get some traction. And as Natalie mentioned, these are workers that are known already within um, a, a trust within, within the ICS as well. Um, and yeah, and obviously filling those shifts um, has a benefit for patient care. Um, and then obviously, um, if it wasn't filled and therefore it was filled by agency, but now the collaborative bank uh, gives that extra layer, then it reduces that uh, dependency on agency as well. So obviously there's a, there's a impact, a financial, a positive financial impact as well. The other thing that we felt with the collaborative banks is it's really, it's really been the glue in the North Central London ICS temporary staffing programme that's that's brought the trust together, but it's allowed us to continue to keep working together collaboratively. Um, so we, we're on a, a project at the moment where we're looking to align rates across North, uh, pay rates across North Central London. It's allowed us to start looking at harmonising our mandatory training. Obviously, some skills that uh, are required um, uh, for workers to come and do shifts at various trusts. We started to align those um, skills as well. So basically, it's really allowed us to um, continue to work um, uh, collaboratively with each other and it's really allowed for that integration which is which is fantastic. Thanks Lee. Back to you Natalie. Uh, yeah and just finally just to wrap up on that I think what it's also really helped with is that having workers working at other organisations has really kind of helped to break down barriers and I think an access for workers to, to be able to go into those organisations. We've really made that as simple and as easy and as safe as possible. And it's really helped, I think, not only our internal trust relationships, but actually it's really helped to raise awareness and increase the positive reputations of the organisations that are involved. So maybe in a situation where they wouldn't have had a chance to go and work at another organisation, this has enabled them to say, actually, I've, I've been, I've worked there, I've had a really positive experience 
that maybe wouldn't have come about if it hadn't have been um, for the collaborative bank. And then I think on the flip side to that, the impact on the workers in terms of, you know, their well-being from a work-life balance perspective means that if they want to be able to work somewhere a bit closer to home because it's convenient for them, then I think it's, you know, certainly helped. And we know that flexibility, um, certainly from a work perspective, was a really key point that was raised out of many of our own um, worker surveys, substantively and bank nationally. So I think this really feeds into helping workers create that work-life balance. And then also, as Lee mentioned before, giving them an opportunity to kind of improve their own professional development from a career perspective as well. So really positive. Yeah, thanks, Natalie uh, and Lee. It's clear to see there that there's definitely a breadth of um, positive benefits to the staff there through the collaborative banks. Um, but as we've heard there, so Natalie and Leah already in the midst of using um, the collaborative banks, but Grace and Derek come to the conversation today from a slightly different place on the timeline. Um, so I'll come to Grace first. Do you want to give us some context to where you're up to in terms of the collaborative banks? Yes, thanks, Louis. Um, so as mentioned, I work for North East London, which um, as all parts of London is also uh, another diverse area. We have um, notably the Royal London and St. Bartholomew's in the inner London patch, but then our we've spread all the way out to Barking and Hornchurch. Um, and we've also been um, quite fortunate to have um, over 35 million invested in us to build three new community diagnostic centres, um, which are nearby to our acute hospitals, but there'll be opportunities for um, diagnostics to be done earlier there and keep people away from the acute hospitals. Um, but unfortunately, um, we do not have enough staff um, to fill all these roles in North East London. And North East London in the next sort of 20 years is um, meant to increase its population by to the size of Newcastle. So we are sort of planning how the staff load and, you know, our hospitals are going to serve this population. Um, and getting the right staff to fill these shifts is definitely something that we need to start tackling now. Um, unfortunately, just as similar with other areas, it's very hard to recruit um, roles in imaging sonographers, radiographers, radiologists, and there's just not enough of them around to fill in all the gaps. So we thought the Collaborative Bank would be a great opportunity to say, if we do have these people in the area and they are available, to give them an opportunity to work in other places um, and fill in these gaps. And also to um, move down our spend on agencies and sort of um, outsourcing. So similar to the um, benefits that um, Lee and Natalie have said, we're really hoping that the, we can see these things coming around in North East London. Um, we're quite fortunate that we already started using a collaborative bank during the vaccine programme. So similar software to what NTL are using, we have used that before. So we're just figuring out now how to use that on a sort of wide scale for imaging and harmonising pay and those sorts of issues that I'll discuss later. So yeah, we're quite um, fortunate that we have this already and then just sort of developing this is the next steps for us. Great, thank you, Grace. Uh, and over to you, Derek, give us a bit of context to where you're up to with the collaborative banks and uh, where your interests lie. Okay, so the primary reason for doing it, if you like, is all of the benefits that Lee and Natalie have outlined and yourself, Grace. We, unlike the London uh, trusts, are a very um, broad 
geographical area with um, lots of distance in between our providers as an as an ICB. What we've done so far, if you like, is to say we're going to set up a, a steering group. There's there's national evidence and local evidence that say these collaborative banks really work well. They offer um, the flexibility that staff want. So we've set up a steering group for, um, under the ICB that includes uh, senior staff from each of the healthcare providers within the ICB. And then underneath that, we've set up action groups that um, then will include people like uh, those who do the rosters, those who run banks, um, HR professionals, and various other people on those action groups that will then take forward and make concrete, if you like, the um, actions that we need to take in order to set up a collaborative bank. I think one of the key recognitions that I can certainly say I've had for a couple of years now is that either we look to set up this kind of flexibility across the NHS in various uh, parts of the country, or actually we continue to face the reality that our staff are doing it anyway, and that that's often being mediated through agency working um, and sometimes registering on multiple banks so that they can have that flexibility and do it on their own. We either help them to do that together or they'll continue doing it without us. Great. Thank you, Derek. Um, so now we've got context for where everyone's up to in terms of the collaborative banks and we've touched on the benefits. Um, but I think it'd be useful to find out what challenges you face so far and what challenges have surfaced through the um, promotion and introduction of the collaborative banks. Um, so who wants to kick us off there? What challenges have you faced? Yeah, over to you, Natalie. Brilliant. Thanks, Louis. Um, so I think for us, um, this was a real culture shift, right? So I think people really love the idea of collaboration, but I think what the pandemic did was almost fast track us through this process. Um, because I think historically it kind of went into the too hard bucket. You know, it was like, this is amazing, but where do we start? So what we did, I think, by, by kicking off the project was breaking this down into sort of bite-sized chunks and really making sure that trusts felt in control and that trusts were taking the lead rather than feeling like they were being done to. That was really critical for us. It was making sure that relationships were, you know, key to this. And I think certainly an early challenge was even as a, a great example was um, our temporary staffing needs within the ICB didn't even know each other's names before this collaboration. So actually the starting point for us was actually breaking down, I said, you know, that culture around we're all colleagues, we're in this together, we're all facing similar challenges and how can we work together to kind of find a solution to this? Um, and then I think secondly, the other part, there was a real concern around fear of losing staff. So again, whilst we really want to support collaboration, what we don't want to do is enter into something that means that we're going to have mass walkouts of staff that say they don't want to decide to work at their trust anymore because the other organisation's better. And so it was kind of the fear of the unknown. But actually what we have seen is that the data is showing us that this hasn't happened and that actually there's a real balance of winners here, that there's some benefits more so for some, but actually on the whole, everybody is benefiting from collaboration and I think it's just really important we understand trust anxieties around that and then reassure them that you know once we hit the go button there's going to be some data to be able to monitor that and make sure that it, it doesn't happen and obviously put steps in place to uh, to avoid it. Thanks Natalie, over to you Lee. Right, thanks Louis. Um, so as Natalie mentioned earlier we have two collaborative banks, one for doctors and one for nurses and admin and clerical and AHPs. So with that, we've got uh, if we're, just to talk about some of the, some of the technology that we've implemented as well. So on the 
NCL Medical Collaborative Bank, which is for doctors. We use a company called Locum's Nest, um, and that is a that is brand new software that we've we've brought into um, into the ICS. Um, so one of the challenges that we had on the tech side of things is it was absolutely imperative uh, that it. That, that Locum's Nest had the interoperability uh, and it could integrate with other systems um, that we we're already using, sort of rotor systems, et cetera. So obviously that kind of integration um, was a challenge. We we succeeded with that and that was that was great, but obviously that's something for um, people to be aware of who, who are looking to set up a collaborative bank. On the, the other one, the other uh, collaborative bank, so we call it the NCL Collaborative Bank, um, that we use uh, some software called CloudStaff, which is uh, through Allocate. Um, now this was, this is almost like an extension of existing software that we already have within NCL uh, or, or multiple trust in NCL, which is the health ro uh, health roster system. Um, so yeah, it's rather than rather unlike the medical collaborative bank, it wasn't a case of it was brand new, never seen before software. It was an extension so that that helped with um, rolling that out in what is kind of a very complex um, uh, project. Uh, but that's helped to make it as smooth as possible. Um, and then just finally, the other challenge kind of underpins all this as well is the information governance side of things. And we found that the DPIA, the Data Protection Impact Assessment, um, was a bit of a challenge to get through. I think it, in the end it took about six months in total, but on reflection, I think that that was because two years ago this was very new and pioneering stuff, and therefore our information governance colleagues hadn't really heard of this initiative before, so there was lots of questions. Suddenly now we're going to sharing staff's data across different organisations, which let's be honest, they're all individual companies, right? Um, so the uh, the sharing of staff data was a, a bit of a challenge that we had to kind of work through. It did took a long time, but it was absolutely essential. And we have a, um, a now a, a, an approved DPIA, which we have as a template, which we're happy to share with, uh, with other ICSs. I think I've already shared it with um, Derek uh, already. Um, and Grace, but yeah, that, that's, that's been great. And that'll always give um, other ICSs a bit of a head start um, with that, but yeah. The, that just a bit of overview on the on the technology, some of the challenges, and then the information governance stuff uh, uh, that's wrapped around it as well. Thanks, Lee. Over to you, Derek. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of things embedded within there. So the technology, one of the things that we've looked at is that some of our organisations are quite small, and therefore the outlay for the technology to go right from a rostering system through to a collaborative bank can be too much for them. Um, and then we, we're looking at ways in which we can either potentially piggyback people onto other systems from uh, bigger, bigger providers that are close to them geographically or other ways like that. We're having to look at that or potentially them having uh, being able to have access to the collaborative bank to put things in manually. Not ideal, but we're having to look at that. The other thing I think that is a line of resistance, if you like, that we've already got is the um, we're not broke, we don't need hours fixing, thank you very much. And and what I found is that actually, you, you know, obviously what we've done is we've learned, um, if you like, from people like Natalie and Lee and, and others around the country uh, and said that actually what we need to do is bring people on from the very beginning offer them the choices, make sure that they're the people making the decisions and not us separately to them. Great, thank you, Derek. And over to you, Grace. Um, a particular challenge that um, we're finding at the moment is that, um, not as far as Derek's, but our trusts are sort of, 
you know, quite geographically spread as well. So, and as most people are aware, if you work in inner London, you get paid more money than if you work in outer London. Um, so if we are trying to, you know, have a collaborative bank that works across the whole of our region, we need to try and harmonize this pay in a way that works for everybody or, um, you know, somebody from Barking, all the, you know, everybody from outer London is going to want to work in inner London, but nobody from none of the shifts in outer London are going to be filled as well. So we're trying to figure out a way um, that doesn't obviously cost us too much money to make everybody happy. Um, but makes the staff happy in a sort of happy medium way that still allows us to have some savings as well. Um, so we are trying to yeah figure this out at the moment and trying to get um, you know the the banks to agree a sort of pay as well. We also yeah will have the issue of um, a lot of our staff are probably already working six days a week for agencies and other banks as well. What is the sort of buy-in of you know staying with our one? Um, and and that sort of thing. And of course, pay has to be right to, to get people to do this. Um, so yeah, these are the challenges we're we're facing at the moment. So and um, hopefully we'll be able to update you when we've come to a happy solution. Thanks, Ray. Back over to you, Derek. Yeah, just wanted to say one of the things that we're looking at, I think that is a challenge, is the notion that in order to put a business case and a rationalization together, you need to find money. Because there is an investment here and there is, I think, some inherent benefit financially in setting up a collaborative bank that can be difficult to quantify NHSE are helping with that currently. But then what we've also said as a group um, to our steering group is not all of the benefits here are going to be financial but they're definitely going to be benefits um, even and potentially what makes it politically more difficult is they may not be quick and easy wins. It may be the retention piece. It may be the recruitment piece, things that actually take a longer to realize um, and it can be harder to see than the financial pounds on a sheet. Great. Thank you, Derek. Over to you, Natalie. I was just going to say, I absolutely agree, Derek. I think you're right. It's around the non-financial, non-financial, non-cashable kind of benefits, as we used to call them in the private sector as well, around um, the links then, I guess, around how that supports the wider workforce initiatives that we know are happening locally and nationally. We know, as I mentioned earlier, from the National Staff Survey, that time and time again, it, it gets raised around flexibility and while people are making decisions to leave the NHS and what we can do to retain them and I think actually there's a lot of benefits here from a collaborative bank perspective that feed into the the wider long-term workforce plan um it's it's finding them right and uh but yeah there absolutely are I agree great um so I'd be really interested to find out what steps other people can take to start up their own collaborative banks yeah I think step number one is bringing um an ICSY team um temporary staffing team together that is uh, number one. Um, uh, what I would say, bring bring that bring those teams together. Get the heads of services for from the relevant trust, from the relevant departments, the uh, temporary staffing departments, and um, start generating the different ideas of how uh, a collaborative bank could work. And it's really critical at that point to get everybody on board from day one. And like Natalie said earlier, it it has this has to be something that's built from within organisations. It can't be something that's being pushed from a from a from an ICS level onto the trust, they have to feel uh, that they're part of the 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 building of 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 this collaborative bank. So I think that's absolutely critical. 
Um, and then the second point um, is with that as well. Um, you may, may have seen in your ICSs now that there's different uh, groups which are being set up. So I'll speak for North Central London. We have a North Central London Chief People Officers uh, meeting who meet on a weekly basis. We've got the same for CFOs. as um, um, the, There's the uh, nursing NCL nursing directors meeting as well. And I, it's about tapping into those groups early doors as well to get their buy-in um, because obviously a lot of your approval process, uh, a lot of your approvals that are required are going to go via these groups. So if they are on board with this initiative from early doors, it stands you in good stead um, as you as you move with the implementation of the project. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to continue with what the next step after that would be, Natalie. Yeah, I would say, and then I suppose that the point that comes after that is actually then cementing that into um, an MOU, so a Memorandum of Understanding. And I think one really positive thing that came out very quickly at the start of the pandemic from, from the centre was the formation of the London Staff Movement Agreement. So actually that was done um, right at, from a regional level from NHSEI to enable, start, to enable trust to be able to to um, share staff really quickly, um, but it was really aimed at substantive workers. And actually what we did is we created with support from our legal teams, an MOU that basically was the glue that brought all of these conversations and discussions and agreements together in one place. And that was where our organisation signed up to say, this is what we're committing to. This is what we're going to do to support this. This is the expectations and the standards that we're expecting from everybody. Um, and then all of our um, HR directors and our CPOs signed up to that. And that was really fundamental, almost as that point of permission um, to, to begin actually, you know, sharing staff. And I guess once we got our own houses in order and we were very clear about what we wanted, it was then time for us to actually take that out externally. And that was then about beginning tender processes. So actually we knew we needed tech to support this. So all of this operational HR workforce um, stuff, for want of a better word, had been managed. And, and actually now it was time to take this out as a requirement to um, external organisations to support us. So we worked collaboratively together to create a specification. We got support from our procurement colleagues. And then we went out to the market and we engaged with those organisations that we knew had a presence that had already um, evidenced that they had done this elsewhere. Um, but it was really important that we did that together. So, again, we were able to brief those suppliers around what our expectations were. And then I think finally, once we did that, we 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 went through that process and I gloss over like uh, gloss over that like that was really easy because it wasn't and procurement is really tricky in, in the public sector. Um, but we did it. And then again, it's around implementing. So for us, um, the implementation piece uh, was very lengthy. And I would say um, be prepared for that. I think it's about recognising that you've now engaged with an additional third party and we've got to work within their timescales and their capability also. So implementation was, was, um, was a really big key part for us. And Lee, I think you wanted to cover a few parts um, additional to that as well, didn't you? Uh, well, I think I think that's there's lots of steps after that as well. But I think those are the five key steps to start off with. And I just think it's like what Natalie said there. It's, you can easily gloss over it. But that was a lot of hard work. And um, we're simplifying this into five steps. But sometimes that's the, the easiest thing to do sometimes as you go into this journey. We obviously were I'm not going to say making up as we were going along, but because this was quite pioneering, uh, at the time, two years ago, um, it, there was an element of kind of learning as as we as we were going down the journey. But I think just to summarise those five um, steps, really, I think step number one: bring all your heads of temporary staffing um, 
managers uh, to, to, in, into one room, in, into, into one ICS uh, group. That's step one. Step two, critical to get your um, st uh, senior stakeholders on board. So your CPOs, your CFOs, procurement, uh, uh, nursing directors, etc. Step three, cement all that collaboration with, a, uh, with an MOU. Um, step four, begin the tender process, start creating your specification collaboratively. And then step five, once you've then awarded a supplier, start with the implementation. But I think that simplifies a very complex and long journey, but those are the first five steps as, as we see it in North Central London. Brilliant, thanks for that summary, Lee. Um, I'm really keen to find out what steps Grace and Derek have taken as well. I know it's still quite early in, in your stage of the collaborative banks, but is there any useful steps that you've found? Um, so far? So I think we're very lucky in that we are learning from <laughs> the pioneering work that's already been done. And I'm a great believer in if I can learn from somebody else's mistake, I'd rather do that than learn from my own. Um, and when I say mistake, I don't really mean that, but uh, that, that's, I, th I think that's the best way about it, learn from other people's um, experience. So we very much have included everybody in from the very beginning um, and the senior stakeholders, if you like, for us will be the next hit after, it's a horrible word, isn't it? Um, will be the next uh, way to go after we've then got through a business case, if you like, that's been agreed. Once we've got that as a premise of permission to proceed, then it'll be for me and the others to go around and say, right, this is to the senior nurses and so on. But I think the key thing for me is look at the experience of other people. One of the things we're learning very quickly, and um, again, multiple people have done this, have said to us about the rates. Don't try and keep the, fix the rates before you start, because otherwise you can end up in a marshland that can take a really long time to resolve and can stop everything else happening before it's, you've even got there. So I think that's one of the key lessons for us. Thanks, Derek. And Grace? Um, yeah, great great to hear that, Derek. Um, and also, yes, we have also been, um, you know, learning a lot from uh, how NCL have gone through this experience. And really great to hear your five steps, because I feel like we are coming at it from a sort of weird angle, because we already have this technology and have the sort of know-how and sort of, if we wanted to, could just sort of press go now. But I think, and then perhaps, you know, see what happens after that. But I think we are going to try trial this perhaps with just one hospital and one trust at first um, and then see how we go from there um, because that is the hospital with the sort of biggest need for it. And then we can sort of, you know, stop and pause it and do those other bits with it. But um, that is a, obviously a strange way to go about it. And, you know, eventually our long-term goal is that all trusts would be signed up to this and we find something that works for everybody and that sort of thing um but just at the moment um because there is so much um overspend on agency and outsourcing and we have a big backlogs to clear we just very drastically need to find a way to get these staff in um and we're in a fortunate thing that we have the technology we just need um you know the license to be paid for and it will be a sort of additional layer that pops up on staff's existing sort of software and banks and can be um, sort of advertised to them as a new sort of opportunity um, if they say to do it. So it's not about trying to get them to join a new bank or anything like that. So, um, yeah, that's the way we're sort of approaching it at the moment. But great to hear about all these 
other steps. And of course, we have involved our sort of people's directors and we're thinking of appointing a sort of dedicated consultant who would be the person who would coordinate what all the different banks need. Um, obviously, there's big banks um, already existing who might not want to sign up to this. So, you know, trying to be that middle person that makes sure um, that is it's working for everybody and, um, yeah, that they sort of feel in control as well. I think that's definitely something that we are mindful of. We don't want this to be something that is sort of uh, pushed on people as much as people know that there's a crisis they need to um yeah feel like they're involved from the beginning as well thanks guys back to you derek yeah i just think actually what grace has just said there's reminded me of something that's quite important as a dimension in doing this which is about the technology and quite possibly i think lee natalie um compared to two years ago many of the suppliers have developed their offer so that actually the notion of having two different systems to do the same thing is something that we're going to have to look at carefully now and say, can we get it all from one person? If so, how does that work? And again, how does it interact with the existing technology? We all know that the notion of interoperability is something that I think is a very broad umbrella um, that some people sit under very comfortably and have made work for them very well and others are still taking baby steps towards but nonetheless, it's, there, there seems to be among the suppliers a, a far greater wish to be all things to all people from one supplier. And that's something we're going to have to think very carefully about as we move forward, because again, not all of our providers in the ICB or the ICS rather have the same systems that they work from. So that that's going to be a challenge for us. Yeah, Natalie. I would completely agree, Derek, and that reminded us, and I'm sure it did you, Lee, as well, around our decision to take the two different routes. And I think whilst technology is a really important part of this, it ultimately only underpins the people element. So whilst it's really important, what we've recognised is that actually different staffing groups have different challenges and use technology in different ways. And that was one of the main drivers for separating out doctors, because we, we knew that that was and we know generally as a, as a workforce group that they need to be um, managed in a slightly different way and a slightly different approach to get the best outcome. But actually, they are also slightly more advanced in their use of technology as well. So we wanted to capitalise on that and the fact that actually there was already large communities of doctors and in fact uh, Locum's Nest and um, the provider we chose to go with was actually founded by a group of doctors who saw a niche and a gap in the market for exactly this piece of technology so I think you're right it's just factoring in what the trust requirements are but actually the staffing groups as well themselves and where they are as a group and their use of tech really important. Thank you um, and finally today I'd like to get your kind of learns and reflections for, from the whole panel. Um, so what things have you, could you have done differently looking back on it now? Uh, yeah, I, as, as we've discussed, um, we went on this journey and there was lots of things uh, that we would perhaps maybe look at doing differently. Um, the one that's fresh in our mind at the moment and the one thing that I would do differently should we, if we were to start all this again, is getting the comms and marketing right, right from the start. I think one thing we've learned is we this is this is not just something you can implement and um, just leave and let it do its thing. It needs a bit of TLC. It needs um, uh, it needs people to be raising that awareness of uh, the collaborative bank. If you think about it, the collaborative working is not uh, staff members' primary 
um, source of work. It's it's a, a kind of a second thought. So therefore, they're going to continue to book their home uh, trust shifts. They're going to continue to work agency shifts if they're on agencies, etc. If they're not aware of the collaborative bank, then it kind of just falls by the wayside a little bit. So it it took us a it took us a, a wee while to kind of get moving with um, the number of shifts um, being filled, but we we saw that. The, the the number of shifts that were filled were increasing month on month as soon as we started raising that awareness and that's through social media campaigns we've done pop-up events at various sites as well uh, we've had, where we've had huge um, interests from, from uh, doctors and nurses about uh, what is the collaborative bank we've sent surveys out we sent mass emails out to everybody some of the technology now allows for pop-up notifications that go straight to, uh, to, to workers phones and it's all those uh, routes that we um, that you that you need to do, but you have to continuously do it as well and have a, a very structured um, comms and marketing plan. Um, we're doing that now and we're starting to see the fruits of our labour. Um, I just wish that we probably started this six months, 12 months ago, but we are where we are and we're moving in the right direction, which is great. So hopefully Derek and Grace and others that are listening can learn from that. But that's a, a critical point, especially when you're looking to expand um, and grow your collaborative bank. Thanks, Lee. Do you want to add to that, Natalie? Uh, yeah, please. Just to say, I think being aware of how long it has taken to implement this and actually for trust to go in with their eyes wide open, because it takes, certainly from my perspective, it took much longer than I had anticipated. And actually not even just dealing with the politics and all the things trust side, actually it took just as long once we involved the third party and the tech provider, because I think they were on this journey with us as well. And so that in, in itself added an extra layer of time and complexity um but just really just to not underestimate um how quickly decisions take to push through and um as i said yeah engaging with that third party but I say to end on a positive, um, all of the groundwork is now done. So from an expansion perspective, we've gone live with um, li a limited small number of trusts, uh, similar to what Grace is proposing they do. And I absolutely agree with that. Keep it small, much easier. But actually what that means now is now we've gone through all of that pain and we've gone through all of those challenges and we've resolved them and we're seeing success. We're now expecting a really smooth and hopefully much speedier implementation as we expand and roll out phase two to our other organizations so positive. thank you and Derek so again I want to go back to what I've just said earlier these two people here have done it all um uh, being there bought the t-shirts etc and um the lesson stroke the way I've gone about it is to say there are people who've done this already who've got the experience learn from them there are resources out there either published or the NHS futures website is very good as um, a resource pool either from people who are also doing it or just national resources that can enable enable some of the tricky things around MOUs and um, different legal things that you need to take so it's just really at the risk of um, writing a check that you don't want to cash Lee and Natalie but it's it's getting in touch sometimes with people who've done it um, and and talk to them and find out what that day-to-day -day ground reality is on what you're doing because we can all I think in the NHS um, want to be pioneers we want to people be the people like Lee who are doing it and we, we can do it best and then actually what you look sometimes is around you saying well okay this is already out there and now I've gone and learned it when I need and have so that's the key learning for me is talk to people who've been there already. Back to you Lee. Yeah I just wanted to um, touch on that point clues in the title Derek, Derek isn't it 
collaborative bank collaboration. And we should be doing that as ICSs as well, up and down the country. And um, yeah, I felt, just wanted to comment on that. So yeah, very good point. Thank you both. Over to you, Grace. Yeah, it, it's been, you know, nothing but beneficial for us to be able to, you know, go to Lee and Natalie and, um, you know, to say, oh, how do you do this? Get the templates, that that sort of thing. Um, and really great to hear, um, you know, the emphasis on comms and marketing and stuff. You know, this is definitely something, um, you know, we want staff to know about, um, but then to sort of, you know, it, it, to be sort of, tactfully sort of done in a way that works for them as well and is aware of you know the challenges that they're facing and that sort of thing so great that yeah this can be an added layer of a sort of technology that they're using and that sort of thing because i think previously when i've worked with you know other softwares and stuff that people might have to join up to again upload their certificates do mandatory training that stuff again you know we don't want our clinicians to waste time on that we want them to be working and we want it to be as seamless as possible we want it to be something that's familiar to them um, and that always is also linked in with other, other systems that they already use so um yeah we, we just want it to you know want it to be a, a collaborative thing that that saves money in the long run but also these other non-pay benefits are definitely something that we have been um you know saying to everybody about you know retention flexibility these great things that have come out from us you know, being able to be so flexible since the pandemic, these are the positives that we want to keep there. And we also want to keep our staff in North East London and also, you know, to continue to recruit local people to work in our local hospitals as well. So there's tons of benefits with this. It's just about getting getting it right. But um, yeah, there will be an, definitely elements of trial and error for us <laughs> going through this process for sure. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all for your answers there. I think that's a nice way to end the conversation today. Um, before we do end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you very much for, for joining to our guests and for sharing your insights. I'm sure people will go away and find that conversation very useful to go about setting their own collaborative banks up. Um, again, on the podcast today, we've had Natalie Nightingale from uh, North Central London ICS, Lee Gutcher from North Central London ICS, Grace Heggs from North East London, ICB, and Derek Conlon from Humber and North Yorkshire, ICS. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with me or us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone else you know would like to feature on a future podcast, please drop me a message too. I've been Louis, and you can find me on LinkedIn or alternatively visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thank you again to our guests and thank you for listening.